God is good? And all the time? Would you pray with me this morning? God, we come before you today, Lord, and we, we acknowledge that you are the King of Kings. Lord, as we've just sang about, Lord, we read in Scripture that you were crucified and buried, but you came back to life. And because you live, we can also live. And so we celebrate the power of God. We celebrate the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity in this moment right now to worship you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. may be seated this morning. We're glad that you chose to worship with us today. Uh, My name is John, and I am uh, blessed to be the pastor here at Hallmark and uh, thankful for the team that led us into the presence of God today. And thank you to all those that came up and read Scripture. You know, what I noticed about uh, all those that came up here is, again, something that I continually say is that um, we are blessed at Hallmark to be a multi-generational church. Um, And that's something we need to celebrate and be excited that we can be together and worship together. Are you you thankful for that this morning? Amen. Amen. Yeah. And uh, so, hey, we want to introduce to you this morning a few of our new members. So we have a membership class that usually starts the second week of every month. And, and then they go through our membership class and they sign a covenant. And so you see on the screen here, uh, the first one there is Matthew Porter. Matthew sitting right back there. Matthew, mind raising your hand or just kind of waving at us? And Matthew, and then over here, I think I saw Alicia. Alicia, you want to wave your hand? Nobody really wants to do that, but we're glad that you chose to do that. And then David and Victoria. David, back there, O'Connor, his daughter, Victoria. If you were here last week, Victoria, you want to, you want to wave at us too? Maybe. If you, uh, if you were here last week, you saw their baptism story, and man, God used their story in a great way. And then uh, Keith and Tracy, I think you see in the back there, Keith and Tracy, and then their two kids, Ellie and Cadence, are also known as, as KK. And so can we give them a welcome into our church family? Appreciate them. And uh, as Stacy already mentioned, if you are uh, new uh, here at Hallmark, I would love to have an opportunity to meet you. My wife Joy and I, actually today is a great day for you to be here if you're a guest because we're providing lunch for you, right? So we have pizza uh, with the pastor, and as soon as we're dismissed, you can walk through the atrium. You'll see the big pizza sign. Just follow that in the family center. We just want to get to know you. It'll be a short time. I promise you'll get in and out of there before you're going to get to a restaurant. Um, But maybe you're a a guest with us, you're new here, and you you don't have time to stay for lunch. That's okay. Right outside these doors, there's a big blue screen there, and our associate pastor Dave and his wife Don will be there. They'd have a chance to just say hi to you and greet you. Uh, But we'd love for you to stay and and get to know us. And so I'm going to encourage you today, turn with me uh, to Isaiah. I'm going to give you some time to find Isaiah. Now, we are starting a new series, as Stacy already mentioned, about missions. We're starting a series called Join the Story. It's just a two-week series, um, but it really points to back what, to what we've been talking about the last few weeks when we talk about the vision and the mission of the church. So we understand what the mission of the church is. The mission of the church is to make disciples. That's what, what we are supposed to do, make disciples. But not only is the mission of the church to make disciples locally, But the goal is for us to make disciples globally. In order for that to happen, in order for disciples to be made here and over there, where over over there is, is we need your help. We all need to do our part. We all need to do something. Or as as the title of the series or the message here says, do what you can do. But we we need all people involved. And we we think about mission to make disciples. You can see on the screen. But the definition we went over last week on disciple is simple, a visible and verbal follower of Jesus. So we want to make disciples locally and 
globally. Then we talked about our vision, and, and for a church, for us personally, how does God want us to fulfill that mission? And we kind of just made one little statement. That is to lead people to find and follow Jesus. But understand that leading people to find and follow Jesus isn't just here locally. We want to do that globally all over the world. And again, when we think about those two words, find and follow Jesus, find would speak to evangelism that we see what we are commanded to do in Scripture. And, and we gave a simple definition of evangelism, sharing the gospel by public preaching or personal witness. So again, that's going to be locally or globally. When we talk about the word we want to find and then follow Jesus, that word really points to the, the idea of discipleship. And what does discipleship mean? Again, it's on the screen, equipping believers to be faithful followers of Jesus. And so this is a mission of the church locally and globally. Now, you find uh, uh, on your bulletin this morning, or maybe you're following along on the YouVersion Bible app, a quote from uh, really a famous missionary. If you've studied much about church history, about missionaries, you know you've heard probably of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was uh, killed by the Aka Indians in 1956. If you want to know a little about their story, you could uh, Google that there was a movie that they uh, came out with called End of the Spear. Okay, End of the Spear and Jim Elliott, and it tells his story. He's probably most famously, uh, his most famous quote is not the one you have in the bulletin, but he's famous as uh, they found his Bible in the leaflet of his Bible. It said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's probably the quote, at least that I reference most of him. But on your bulletin this morning, I want to take a second to look uh, at this quote here. And the quote here, again by Jim Elliott, a missionary who knew that he had a great possibility of never returning when he landed his plane in the land where he knew the Aka Indians, everyone who had landed previous to his landing, every missionary endeavor that had gone there, they had killed them all. So he knew it was a great possibility. But look what he says here. A true movement of God will cause the church to look up to heaven. Can you say look up? Look up, all right? It will cause the church to look up, catching a vision of his greatness. And then it will cause us to look in to view our own des- desperate, sinful, our desperate sinfulness apart from his grace. And then it will cause us to look out to the lostness of nations cut off from the goodness. Now, as we think about this quote, it, it makes pretty good sense. Let's just kind of think through it for a moment. What, what he's saying is if we will look up and see the greatness of God. We, we read a lot of scripture this morning about the greatness of God. And, and we serve a great God. We serve a big God. We serve an almighty God. We serve the only one true God. And we think about the greatness of God and we get a, a deeper understanding of who God is. What this quote is saying is that it causes us to then look inward and think of how not good we are. When we see the holiness of God, then it, it reveals to us the, the wickedness of man. That I am unholy in the presence of God. And when I see that because of God's grace and God's mercy and God's goodness, that his kindness, his mercy, his goodness, it leads me to repentance. It leads me to know that God is a good, big God and he sent his son to die for me. And when we look in and we realize if it weren't for the grace of God, how desperate we would be. It should cause us then to look out to all the people who don't know the goodness of God. There's a lot of people all over the world who don't know who Jesus is. There's a lot of people even in our neighborhood who don't know who 
Jesus is. I told this uh, Wednesday night in our Bible study, but I heard this week that one of our students uh, in our student ministry um, who's a senior in high school, invited someone to church. And they invited uh, this person who was a junior in high school. And this person who is a junior in high school, you know what they told this student? No one's ever invited me to church. Here's a 16-year-old, 17-year-old person that lives in what we would call the Bible Belt, had never been invited to church. And I wonder how many people on your street or that you work with or that you go to school with might say the same thing. And we think about when we look up and see the, the greatness of God, we look in and see the wickedness of man, then it should always cause us to look out at those who don't know Jesus. And I think that uh, Jim Elliott got this quote from Isaiah 6. So hopefully you're already in Isaiah. Turn to chapter 6 if you're not in chapter 6 yet. And I think we're going to see uh, the um, inspiration of the quote that we just read about Jim Elliott. Isaiah chapter 6, and the story here is that Isaiah the prophet gets a vision of heaven. He gets a vision of God, and and he sees God in the holy place. And in verse 1 it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each of them with six wings, and two covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. You get this picture here that that Isaiah gets a picture as as the quote says that he looked up and he saw the very presence of God. He saw the holiness of God. He got a glimpse, just a glimpse of the goodness of God. And here's his response, verse 5. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. When he looked up and he saw the goodness of God, the holiness of God, it immediately made him look in and see the wickedness of his own life. For my eyes have seen the king and the Lord of hosts. Verse 6 says, Then one of the seraphim flew, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, your sin purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. You see the picture here as he looked up and he saw the greatness of God. He looked in and saw the wickedness of himself and that he was forgiven and redeemed and restored by the grace of God in his life. And immediately, what was his response? I need to tell other people about this. God says, who am I going to send? And immediately after encountering the goodness of God, the grace of God in his own life, his response was, God, I'll go. And we think about missions and we think about joining the story. Oftentimes we think about missions as uh, those missionaries that go across the world. And they tell the people in in all the other places. But here's the the reality. If we are going to fulfill the mission, make disciples, if we're going to fulfill the vision to lead people to find and follow Jesus locally and globally, you know what? It's going to take all of us doing our part. And it's going to take all of us doing two things. You're not going to find this in your notes. You might want to write it down. Two things. If we're going to fulfill the mission and the vision that God has for our church, for the church, here's, here's what everyone, we're all going to have to do our part. And here's the two things. We have to give and we have to go. In order for the gospel to go from this place, we have to give and we have to go. Now for some of us, going might just be in the high school 
For some of us, it might just be our neighborhood. For some of us, it might be our workplace. For some of us, it's our family. For some of us, though, it may be that God is calling you to go overseas. And, and I want to encourage you, as Stacy already did, to be here Wednesday night. And Wednesday night at 6.30, we're going to meet in the chapel. You're going to have an opportunity to hear from some of our missionaries, some of them from this very church who God has sent out to Southeast Asia. In fact, the only reason that family is even still here is because of what is going on in Southeast Asia. But God kept them here for us to tell us something. And so I want to encourage you to be here Wednesday night. But it involves two things, giving and going. Giving and going. Now, I want you to turn then to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I put a statement out on uh, all my social media yesterday, and some of you read it, some of you didn't, but it's, it's a simple thought here. As you're turning scripture, I want to give this thought to you. What if I told you that a weekly $5 investment could lead someone to find and follow Jesus? Let me, ref- let me just re-say that. What if I told you that a weekly $5 investment could lead someone to find and follow Jesus? Would, it, would the $5 be worth it, yes or no? Okay, so let's think about that for a moment. Now, John chapter 12, and we're going to see in John chapter 12 this story of a woman who gave an amazing gift. This gift was for one, really one purpose, and that was that she wanted to worship Jesus. She wanted to worship at his feet. Let's read the story, John chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. It says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead. Remember, Lazarus died and Jesus brought him back to life. And so now Jesus is at their house. And it's just a few days before Passover. If you know the timeline, right? Six days before Passover. Passover is when he's going to be in the upper room celebrating with the disciples. That night's when he's going to be arrested, right? So we're seeing the last moments of Jesus. And he's at Bethany in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And and so that's the picture here. Verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard ointment, and, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And that the money box that was used to take the money was put in it. Verse 7, but Jesus, here's the response, let her alone. She has kept this, for my, this day for my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. So we, we see this picture of Jesus who has just a few days prior raised Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine being there for that? Can you imagine being there as Mary and Martha, they both came to Jesus and said, if only you had showed up on time. But remember what he had told the disciples? I'm going to wait, and there's a purpose why I'm going to wait. I'm going to show to them things they've never seen before. But he shows up, and in Scripture, this is the third time that we see Mary at the feet of Jesus. The first time we see Mary at the feet of Jesus, it's a similar scenario as they're, they're eating, but she's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's just wanting to hear the Messiah teach. Remember, Martha gripes a little bit about it, and Jesus says she's doing the right thing. She's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she's just learning from the Messiah. The next time we see Mary at the feet of Jesus is when Lazarus was dead. 
And she falls at the feet of Jesus, and she is in torment and sorrow. Jesus, if you had just come sooner, Lazarus, my brother, he wouldn't be dead. And what does Jesus then do? He goes and brings Lazarus back to death. Now, here's the third time we see her at the feet of Jesus. In response to the teaching of Christ and the healing of Christ, she responds in worship. And she gives this amazing gift. In your outline, it kind of unfolds here a little bit about this gift. What, what is this gift? What is it? Let's just walk through this. The first thing, it says the gift was costly. Again, it says here that, that Judas was mad. And, and, and I'm going to be real honest with you. In the other Gospels, um, it's, we also understand that the other disciples were also mad. Apparently, John didn't want everyone else to know. He just pinned it on Judas, right? You know, the one that betrayed Jesus. He's the one that was mad about this costly gift. But read the other accounts of the Gospels, and you will see that all the disciples were upset because it was a lot of money. It says here, 300 denarii, which would equal one year's wage. That's a lot of money. For anybody in here, for you to give one year's wage would be a lot of money, isn't it? It doesn't matter how much it is. If you gave your entire salary for the year, that would be a costly gift, wouldn't it? No matter what you make, it's a costly gift. But why did she give it? Well, she gave it because she wanted to give it as an offering, a worship. Jesus, you're worth everything. Now, as we think about this idea of, of giving, uh, if you have a bulletin this morning, you, you should have one of these in it. And I'm going to reference that a little more in a moment. But what I want to explain to you is that I'm, I'm going to challenge you today, and I'm going to challenge you next Sunday to be a part of giving to missions. Because I think it's worth it. And I think if we all do our part, we can do more together than we can individually. You know what's amazing for me? I, I'm very blessed because um, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a home where my parents taught me very, at a very young age, even before I wanted to, to tithe. When they gave me an allowance, guess what I had to do with the allowance? Tithe off of it. And as I grew a little older, I began to understand that my parents didn't all, only give to tithe, but they also gave to missions so that missionaries could go all over the world. And you know, my brother and I, we used to collect aluminum cans. Anybody remember those days of collecting aluminum cans? And we used to tithe off that and give the missions off that. Um, and I have a little bit of confession. There may be a few of those times in those big black trash bags that I may have filled a few of those aluminum cans with sand just so there would be more, more weight, therefore more money. It was all for Jesus, right? <clears throat> That's not true. This week, though, uh, we were... Uh, Joy and I, my wife, we were talking about missions and just about the, the, the blessing it is for us to be a part of giving to missions. And, and my wife told me, and I, I'm sure I've heard this story, but like a lot of things I forget, and, and she was telling me that the first memory she ever had of filling out one of these cards, back in the day, you know, usually they were perforated and you turn part of it in. She was in first grade in church, and a missionary came into their Sunday school class and told them about missions. And she went home and told her parents, I want to give to missions. Which meant her parents had to give the missions, right? She's a first grader. But she remembers exactly how much money she put on that card as a first grader. 
10 cents. I want to give 10 cents a week to missions. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, my wife and I are blessed that we've grown up our whole life being taught to give to tithe and give to missions. You know what that meant for us over the years? It meant that we had to sacrifice some things. You know, for most of our marriage, we only drove one car. And you know why we drove only one car? Because we wanted to give to missions. We wanted to make a sacrifice. And we had to work up to that. It took a while, especially when you start having kids. They're expensive. Whew. They're expensive. But what if I told you that if you gave $5 a week, someone could find and follow Jesus? So, so maybe you're at the point in your life where like, ah, oh, I've never done this before, and, and $5, let's be honest, that didn't even buy a full Starbucks drink. Is, so is it worth it? And, and you're going to have to wrestle this to yourself. Is it worth it to give up one Starbucks a week so that someone can find and follow Jesus? And, and maybe two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, you'll look back and think, Wow. Look what God has allowed me to give. Look, look how God has blessed this costly sacrifice. And listen, I, I, I'm, I've been wrestling with this all week to tell you because I, I do not want anything about giving to be about me. But can I tell you what God has allowed us to give every month is only because God has been faithful to me. This last year, in fact, Joy and I, almost every year, we increase our missions giving, and we, we have a long conversation about it. I'm thankful that when she was a first grader, she learned to give, because typically in a marriage, one of you is really generous, or a spender, we're putting it nice, and one of you is a saver, or stingy, we'll put it the nice way. And yet, because both of us grew up in a Christian home and learned how to tithe and how to give to missions, God's just allowed us to do that. And almost every year, we give a little more uh, to missions, ab- above our tithe. And this year, without telling her, I filled out my own faith promise card last year. And I filled out a faith promise card and said, God, I want to give beyond what we're doing over here, and I don't want Joy to know about this, I want to give $1,000 this year. So you just figure out how you're going to give it to me. And guess what? I'm almost there. God always provides when we step out in faith. God always does it. Now, it was not only a costly gift, but the next thing on your outline is the gift was a blessing. Not only was it a blessing, well, we read there in verse 3, and the house was filled with the fragrance uh, of the oil. Everyone in the house smelled it. It wasn't just that she anointed it. Can you imagine now the, the hair on a woman? We have no idea in this generation, in this period of time, how valuable and, and what her hair meant to her. And I'm not have time to unpack that for us. But just understand this symbol of washing the feet of Jesus with her hair was a very humbling experience. And not only was it a very humbling experience, but it was a costly experience. And yet in this moment, the offering she gave filled the room. And it blessed everyone in the room. You know, when you make a sacrifice, um, you know, earlier for a connect group, I was in our builders connect group. And our builders connect group, 
Uh, I think it was about 80% of that room this morning in their group. There's 45 people in there this morning. 80% of them have been members of this church since before 1997. And they have been the most faithful, committed, generous givers of all of us in the church. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for their faithfulness. And what they've taught me as I watch them is God just blesses. And God continues to bless. And when I observe the faithfulness of the older generation, it's a blessing to God for sure, but it also blesses me. Doesn't it bless you to see people just show up? I mean, that's what Hebrews says. Forsake not the assembly of yourself as some do. Why? Because it's encouraging to everyone in the room when they see you in your place worshiping Jesus. It was a blessing. Number three, not only was it costly, not only was it a blessing, but the gift was, was pleasing. Now, it was pleasing to the only person that really mattered in the room. Because I already told you, Judas got mad. We read that in the text. Other gospels tell us that the, re- the rest of the disciples, they weren't very happy about this extravagant gift either. We can think of a lot of reasons why they didn't like this woman showing them up. We won't talk about all that. But it was a blessing and it was pleasing to Jesus. I want to show you something, though. I want to show you a graph. All right, so some of you are new to Hallmark. Some of you have been here a long time. And so I just want to explain something really quickly for you. This is uh, our... Um, a graph of expenses from 2019. Okay, so from 2019, uh, our biggest piece of the pie, right, our biggest, I hate to use the word expense, but our biggest outgoing line item was missions. That is awesome, isn't it? You know what that 33, yeah, go ahead, give the Lord a hand. Praise the Lord for that. You know what that, so, so percentages, you know, maybe don't, it's kind of hard to understand. I mean, you can obviously see that the biggest percentage of, of our money goes to missions, locally and globally. But what, what is the number that that represents? 33% represents $729,000. $729,000 that you guys gave, that you gave, listen, above your tithes. Now, the reason, there's two reasons or, or two ways that that is such a large number. Now, I'd love to tell you all the stories about what those dollars represent, but let me encourage you to show up Wednesday so you can hear some of the stories of all of what those dollars represent. But there's two ways that we got that much money to give. The first is this. Many years ago, the church made a decision that most churches don't. They made a, church, they made a decision that 15% of every dollar given to the general budget is going to go straight into missions. So when you give a dollar to the general fund, maybe you, ever, you never even knew you could give to missions. Guess what? Every dollar you gave, 15% or 15 cents, goes right in to the missions budget. That means if you gave, you were a part of our missions program. That's awesome. The other part is that just like this card that I'm telling you about, I think it was in the late 60s, somebody came to our church. I wasn't around back then, but somebody came to this church and, and introduced this idea of faith promise giving. And so if you have a card, what we do every year about this time is we ask people, would you, make, would you consider praying and giving above your tithe for missions? And so half of that $739,000 was given just from transfer. The other percentage was given by people who intentionally said, you know what, above my tithe, I'm going to give to missions. 
Some of those were maybe first graders who gave 10 cents a week. Some of those are people that have been doing it since the 1960s and have increased as God would allow them to every year. But let me get back to what I said earlier. What if I could tell you that your $5 a week could lead someone to Christ? Now, most of our missionaries, so if you're not aware, we send money to about 140 missionaries every month. Okay, we invest into their ministry, and it goes all over the world. In addition to that, we support about 20 different agencies that we also send money to every month. That's where this large 30, you know, that 700, what was it, 749000 $39,000, that's where it's going to, to help support those missionaries, those agencies. Now, the biggest percentage of our missionaries are associated with what is called the Baptist Bible Fellowship. Okay, it's just an organization that approves missionaries and sends them out. They're really just a funnel where we send our money, they send it to the missionary. Okay, in fact, we support that office so that they get absolutely zero amount of money. So if, I, if someone were to send, uh, or when we as a church send uh, money to a missionary, it goes to Springfield, and guess how much of it they take before they send it to the missionary? Zero. zero. And they just send it to the missionary, which just funnels through the, that agency. But here's what I want to share with you. Through that agency... The group of missionaries, about 400 missionaries that associated with just that one group, last year, 2019, there were 128,736 people who gave their life to Jesus. That was recorded. You can celebrate that. That's amazing. There were 18,000, almost 19,000 baptized and 121 churches that were started. But here's, here's the dollar. Of all the churches that send money through to these missionaries, the, this mission's office received and sent back out $32 million from churches. So here's what you would find on their website. That means for every $5 investment, one person gave their life to Jesus. So I ask you, what if I could tell you that your $5 weekly investment could bring someone to Christ, what would you do? And I stand before you and say, if you've given that through this church, it's done exactly that. Think about how much some of you gave last year and what that represents. So we all can do our part. Now, the gift was pleasing, like I said, not to everyone, but to the one that mattered. All the disciples, they weren't too happy about it. But look what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 10, he says, Why do you trouble the woman? She's done a good work for me. And then in another account of this gospel, in Mark chapter 14, verse 8, here's what Jesus said. She has done what she could. You know, there were some things she couldn't do. She couldn't stop them in six days from arresting the Lord. She couldn't stop them from beating Jesus. She couldn't stop them from nailing him to the cross. She couldn't stop them from grabbing the spear and piercing his side. But what she could do was give what she had, motivated by love and worship of her Savior. If we as a church and we as the church are going to fulfill the mission of making disciples locally and globally, if we're going to lead people to find and follow Jesus all over the world, then we all have to do our part. 
What could you do to invest in missionaries, in the work that God is doing all over the world? Last January, because of the generous gifts of this church, uh, I, w- I had the opportunity uh, to, to be in Kenya. And we were, so on your commitment card, uh, or on the brochure that has the information about uh, the mission conference, uh, there is a picture that says Mwalumba. It's kind of hard to say. Um, and just uh, this church, though, in January, last year when we were there, and, and we got to see their first service in a new building. They had met for several years under a mango tree. Churches like ours, including ours, gave. And that first service in their building, we got to go down about a mile from the church service and we got to baptize in the river. It was amazing. And as powerful as that was, I wanna, there's about a 15-second video that I took as we were sitting in, the, in, the, in their new building. These people have nothing. We're talking about giving up $5 a week maybe. Some of you could do a lot more than that. And, and some of you could give $100 a week and, and you wouldn't even know. It wouldn't impact your day-to-day other than maybe you don't get as much whatever. These people in this video have nothing. But I want, to, I want you to sense the spirit in which they are giving. All right, so let's watch this video. Again, as God speaks to us today, what could we do? What could we involve? Look at the statement on the screen. Don't be satisfied with shallow, impotent, useless, and comfortable Christianity. It requires more. It inspires more. When Mary experienced what Jesus did, and she looked up in worship, She looked in at where she was without Jesus. It cost her to look out and to worship. You see, I I, I give, and, and we give sacrificially because we love Jesus. And there's people all over my community, and there's people all over the world who will never hear unless we give and unless we go. Could you close your eyes for a moment this morning? And I, I want to give you just a moment this morning to process what you've heard. Mary gave this costly, extravagant gift. Not everyone was pleased with it, but the only one that mattered was. And so I want to challenge you this morning that maybe as a couple, maybe as an individual, maybe as a family, that you would just take the opportunity this morning, maybe this is the first time you've heard about making a one-year commitment to give to a missions program. So I would encourage you to spend some time in prayer this week about that. What would God have you, how, how much would God have you sacrifice in order that other people could hear about Jesus? And so we're, we're going to have a time of worship this morning as we close, but the altar is free for you to come forward and and maybe that's what you need to do as a family or a couple or individual and say, God, 
Would you speak to us this week? What's a small sacrifice that we could make out of our budget so that others could find and follow Jesus? What's one sacrifice as a high school student that I could give up to help people find and follow Jesus? Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we're humbled that we as a church get to be a part of seeing people saved all over the world. Thank you for the generosity of those who have been giving faithfully to missions since it was first introduced in the 60s. Lord, I think of what people have heard the gospel because of the generosity of this church. Thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of those who've been giving for years. But God, I pray this morning that you would challenge our hearts that that some of us who've been giving for a long time, maybe we could give more. Some of us who've never given, we we didn't know there was an opportunity to do this, that, that you would convict us to be a part of it. But Lord, may it all be done in a spirit of love, motivated that the world would know. As we worship this morning, it's If you would like to pray with someone, we're standing here. Just shake our hand and say, hey, would you pray with me about something? If you just want to kneel and pray alone with the Lord or as a family, the altar is open. Just come spend some time with the Lord this morning as we worship.